0: Hello and welcome back to the Electronic Intifadas live stream for Tuesday, uh, December nineteenth. Thank you all for tuning in, and welcome to all our viewers and listeners. I'm Nora barrows Friedman with my colleagues Asa Win Stanley, John Elmer, Tamara Nassar, and Ali Abunima. It's day seventy-four of Israel's genocide in Gaza. Today, we'll take a look at the relationship between the U.S. tech industry and the Israeli military. And the way that tech companies are boosting propaganda in service to Israel. We'll also have, of course, a discussion about the latest maneuvers by the Palestinian resistance and a special report by John on the Yemeni blockade in the Red Sea as a global consequence for Israel's genocide. But first, a roundup of the news over the last few days. The Palestinian Health Ministry says that as of this morning, more than 19,600 Palestinians have been killed, and more than 52,500 injured since October 7th. On Monday and Tuesday, heavy Israeli bombardments from air, land and sea continued across Gaza, with the most intense airstrikes reported in Jabalia as well as in Sheikh Radu- Radwan, Rimal, Shuja'iya and Ad-Daraj areas of Gaza City, according to the United Nations. Intense ground operations and fighting between Israeli forces and Palestinian armed groups continued, especially in Khan Yunus and Rafah in the southern Gaza Strip. Meanwhile, Israeli airstrikes have continued to target hospitals across Gaza. On Sunday, more than 30 Palestinians were killed in Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City, Three people were shot and injured inside the hospital compound, and another three were shot and injured while trying to fetch water near the hospital gate, the UN says. Early Monday morning, Israel bombarded the hospital again, shelling the entrance gate and the surgery building, killing five people, including children. Six hours later, Israeli forces committed a massacre at Al-Shifa again, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry. 26 Palestinians who had been sheltering inside the hospital compound were killed as well as two more who who were struck while they were inside a civilian car trying to transport a wounded person. Dozens were injured. The ministry reported and a team from the world health organization visited Al-Shifa hospital on Sunday to deliver medicines and surgical supplies. According to Reuters, The team described the emergency department in the enclave's main health facility as resembling a, quote, bloodbath. The WHO said that there were hundreds of wounded patients with new ones arriving by the minute and trauma injuries being stitched on the floor with almost no pain management available. The health ministry added that Israel repeatedly bombed the Nasser Hospital complex in Khan Yunus in southern Gaza over the weekend Killing 12-year-old Dunya Abu Muhsen, who was being treated for an amputated foot.
1: طارب علينا حجار. عرفت إنه was لإنه كان في دم وما كانش ما كانش في لو كنت ما كانتش تتحرك. طبعاً استشهد اللي ماما، بابا، أخوي محمد وأختي حدا يطلع لي برّا اللي هو برّا أي دولة أني أطلع برّا بس عشان أركب رجلي وأصير أمشي عليها زي الناس يعني عشان أصير أمشي أطلع أنزل ألعب مع أخواتي أني نفسي أصير أه دكتورة أه زي هدول الدكاترة اللي بعالجونا عشان برضو إحنا نعالج أطفالنا انا بدي إشي بدي اشي واحد بس ان تخلص الحال
0: That was Dunya Aboumufsin speaking to uh, reporters and the Defense for Children International. Uh, she was killed um, over the weekend. Photojournalist Motaz Azaza documented several unexploded Israeli artillery shells that he said were used on Nasser Hospital on Sunday night. In northern Gaza, Israeli occupation forces withdrew from the Kamal Adwan Hospital in Beit Lahia on Saturday after storming it on Tuesday and detaining its director and medical staff. Medical staff came under fire while delivering a press conference in the hospital's courtyard on Sunday. Video shows the staff ducking for safety as shots ring out while one of them was reading out a statement about an Israeli attack the previous day. Also on Saturday, the Israeli military reportedly used a bulldozer to raise tents belonging to displaced people sheltering in the hospital courtyard. Al Jazeera interviewed witnesses who said, quote, civilians were deliberately targeted in the bulldozer attack and buried alive. Videos shared on social media show body parts sticking out of the rubble in front of the hospital and tire tracks from heavy machinery in the sand. Israeli soldiers attacked and arrested doctors at the Al-Ahli hospital on Monday. It was the last remaining hospital in Gaza with surgery capabilities. The occupation forces released the medical personnel after four hours of interrogation in inhumane conditions, according to the health ministry. More doctors were arrested by Israeli soldiers who stormed the al auda hospital in northern Gaza on Monday after several days of siege and bombing. The hospital's director, Dr. Ahmed Mohanna, was reportedly abducted and arrested and taken to an unknown location. The Palestinian health ministry said Tuesday morning that Israeli occupation forces turned Al-Auda hospital into a military barracks, arresting 240 people, including 80 medical staff, 40 patients and 120 displaced persons within the hospital without water, food or medicine. On Monday, Dr. Hani Al Haytham, head of the Ashifa Hospital's emergency department, was killed, along with his wife and their five children in an airstrike on his home. Ashraf Al Qedra, spokesperson for the Palestinian Health Ministry in Gaza, said Monday that quote, the international silence over the crimes of the Israeli occupation forces against hospitals in northern Gaza the destruction of them and the arrest of their staff constitute a green light to implement the criminal scenario in Southern Gaza. And this is demonstrated by the targeting of the Nasser medical complex in Khan Yunus twice in less than 12 hours on Saturday. An elderly woman and her daughter were shot and killed inside the compound of the Holy family church in Az Zaytun, Gaza city according to the Latin Patriarchate in Jerusalem Several others were reportedly shot and injured as well. Pope Francis condemned the attack on the building, and the UN said that the adjacent convent of the Sisters of Mother Teresa was also hit by Israeli strikes, rendering the building uninhabitable and displacing 54 persons with disabilities who are cared for by the order. Human Rights Watch accused the Israeli government on Monday of, quote, using starvation of civilians as a method of warfare in Gaza, and of deliberately blocking the delivery of water, food, and fuel while willfully impeding humanitarian assistance, apparently raising agricultural areas, and depriving the civilian population of objects indispensable to their survival. Meanwhile, telecommunication and internet services across Gaza were once again cut on December 14th, but partially restored as of Monday evening, according to the UN. This marked the fifth blackout since October 7th. And finally, in the occupied West Bank, Israeli forces killed 12 Palestinians between Saturday and Monday, including three children. At least 291 Palestinians, including 75 children, have been killed by Israeli forces and Israeli settlers since October 7th. And that's just some of the news. As always, please go to electronicintifada.net for more. And coming up later in the broadcast, we'll be analyzing some of the newest videos made by the Palestinian resistance, and we'll discuss Yemen's role in the fight against Israel and the West's complicity in Israel's genocide. But first, we're now joined by Irish tech innovator Paul Bigger. Paul is the founder and CEO of Darklang, a next-generation developer tool. He was also the founder of CircleCI, and he's with us today to talk about the role that big tech is playing in Israel's genocide. Paul, it's so good to have you with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, let's have you begin by talking about the world you've worked in for so long—the tech world—and what you're seeing in terms of how it is engaged right now with the genocide, and, and why you're speaking out.
2: Tech is a, it's an interesting place. The, you know, there's a lot of people who come in with the idea that, that they want to make the world a better place. Um, And the, the way that they do that is, is it tends to be a little bit odd. It tends to be a little bit um, in service of, of existing power structures. And one of those existing power structures is venture capital and venture capital um, from the this you know from the october 7th attack has been extremely pro-israel and has been extremely active at spreading misinformation uh, that is um that is intended to take our eyes away from what's happening in gaza um, and that was basically the reason that i felt i had to speak up
3: paul just for uh, our viewers who aren't as familiar with the world of tech as you are talk to what is what is venture capital what role does it play and you are describing you wrote a very powerful piece called i can't sleep on your on your blog and just that first sentence is so powerful where you you say how as all of us have been since october 7th we cannot escape the horrifying images of palestinian mothers, fathers, bodies being torn apart, and then you wake up the next day and you are going into meetings with all these tech people and it's all very banal. A lot of us deal with that incongruity in our daily lives. You're dealing with a world where huge amounts of money are involved and people like you who have good ideas, who are starting companies, need to get investors. These are the venture capitalists, as I understand. What's that like now? Who are these? Who are these uh, venture capitalists? And I'm assuming they're all very pro-Palestinian, right?
2: Yes, yes. Oh, overwhelmingly. Um, so the, the the life cycle of a of a company is a a founder, often very young, uh, often technical, will will start a company with an idea and and a very small amount of capital, maybe maybe some savings, maybe something from from family. Um, and they'll build some ideas um, and they'll they'll build a demo and they'll show it to people and they'll start to get customers. And from there, they have the opportunity to raise capital and every large tech company you've, you've heard of has raised capital in, in many cases, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars, but they raise it in progressive steps. So your first step today might be to raise one and a half million dollars. And that might be from from angel investors, which is wealthy individuals who are probably the most sympathetic of of the group to um, uh, to Palestine, but still not super sympathetic in, in, uh, in the overall case, I'd say. But then from there, you start to move to institutional investors. And these are these are companies like Sequoia Capital um, or, or, you know, one of the companies I called out, um, Redpoint. These are companies that uh, have hundreds of millions of dollars and that are able to write much bigger checks and you need those checks because the way that tech works is you build with capital in advance of getting revenue. So that means that, um, the, you hire people and you hire a much bigger team than you can really afford. And you do that with the capital that are given from these investors. And these investors tend to be professional companies that themselves raise money from larger investors. And those investors often are things like universities, pension funds. Uh, And they give those money to um, general partners at at these uh, investment funds like Sequoia. And then they write checks of 5 million, 10 million, $50 million in, in the companies. And the thing is, you need to know where your money is coming from next year if you write off those investors if you say i'm no longer going to work with these people or if you piss these people off then they may not give you money next year and then you might have to shut your company down you might have to do a huge layoff you might you know let down your your you know hundreds of staff who are working your company who who now need to get new jobs and right now that's not a great environment but also you throw away, in some cases, five to 10 years of your life's work. And, and also, you know, your personal and your family's opportunity at wealth. All of those, you know, are at risk from founders who speak up. For founders who speak up.
3: And, and have you seen that? Can you, can you say, I've actually seen this happening? Or are we talking about a theoretical risk here?
2: Um, since I put out my blog post, I have dozens of um, emails, DMs, um, even, even LinkedIn emails from people telling me how my post spoke to them. It said the things that they wanted to say, and they felt that they could not say it. Um, with, with friends and people I've known in, in tech for a long time, many of them are saying the same thing. I was, I was speaking to one in, um, in October this is someone who is, you know, tall white man, well established in tech, um, very successful, very well known, and he was saying, you know, if I speak up, I risk everything I have.
3: And but, Paul, you you you're also uh, a founder, and you presumably need to raise money. Are you not worried about this as well? what's a a little thing like genocide between uh, between friends? Yeah,
2: Um, I I am worried about it. Um, I think that relative to most people in tech, uh, I I have it really good. My previous company, which I'm no longer uh, a part of, was successful, and I was able to take some money off the table. So my family will not starve. The uh, company that I'm working on at the moment is already – doing pretty badly so you know we, we, we we've been going for seven years and have not hit success yet and I'm sure we will someday but you know there there's very little to threaten in that in that to threaten me personally in that sense and also you know the the board of my company the the people who who decide whether I continue to have my job um, I, I control that and that's not true of an awful lot I would say that the vast majority of, of tech companies out there, usually their board is controlled by, um, by investors, um, and by, you know, people who have a vested interest in the financial success of the company and really do not give a single fuck about genocide. Hmm.
0: Well, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, a piece that was published earlier this month, uh, by journalists, Lee Fang and Jack Wilson, Uh, about how the tech world is helping Israel shape online discourse. Um, There's one U.S.-Israeli investment fund called J-Ventures that seems to have a large hand in all of this. Can can you talk about this and the significance of these kinds of tools that Silicon Valley companies are using right now?
2: Yeah. So I I think a large part of the narrative is uh, the cancellation of Patty Cosgrave. So Patty Cosgrave was... Uh, the CEO of Web Summit, uh, an extraordinarily successful company, um, which was the the go-to place in uh, for investors and startups and the entire tech industry to uh, to congregate. It was originally in Dublin. It moved to Lisbon, and, and now there's a there's a series of different conferences around the world. And he spoke up and he said a very simple thing. He said war crimes are, and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, war crimes are bad even when they're committed by our allies and he was instantly cancelled and this article um, by Lee Fang and Jack Polson told the story of how that actually happened they it happened in a WhatsApp group where uh, Israeli uh, and Israeli sympathetic investors uh, such as J ventures it was, it was run by J uh, ventures but also, um, Bessemer, Bessemer Capital, which is a big name in tech, and a number of their um, a number of their partners, in particular uh, Adam Fisher and Amit, I'm, I'm not sure of his second name, um, were instrumental in getting Patty cancelled. And it took one day. Uh, he went from being the CEO of his company to posting an apology on Twitter and saying that he was going to reflect on it in one day. And this and this is how it happened. And that set a, uh, a sphere of silence over over um, San Francisco, over tech. Uh, people were, you know, this was this was cited uh, when I talked to people of like, are they going to do anything? Are they going to say anything? Everyone's like, look at what they did to Patty. You know, look how quickly they were able to cancel him. And the way that they were able to cancel him was not just, you know, his board, but it was uh, contacts like Intel and Stripe pulled their speakers out of, um, out of speaking at his conference. So there was a threat of the conference that was like two weeks away from being killed. Um, and so massive internal pressure that he faced. And now he's suing um, Bessemer um, for their role in this. Um, and the the Li Fang, Jack Polson article that came out was a, a big step for everyone to realize that actually this is a huge disinformation campaign that is intended to keep our eyes off of what's happening in Gaza and to prevent people from speaking up.
3: Paul, just to be clear, uh, Paddy Cosgrave, the head of the Web Summit, who was cancelled, he didn't say, Hamas is great. He didn't say, uh, I support murdering uh, Jews. He didn't say, uh, he wants to wipe Israel off the map. What he said, if I'm, hearing you correctly is that war crimes are bad no matter who commits them
2: that is that is exactly it it was the most i would have considered the most middle-of-the-road toast statements that you could imagine
3: and that wasn't acceptable now in that yeah and in that article by lee lee fang and jack paulson they describe you said that this is a uh, organized in a whatsapp group that makes it sound we've all got whatsapp groups uh, and you know with friends and family or whatever but this is a very high power whatsapp group that they describe in the article and that they got lots of the chat logs from so it's all fully documented by them it includes major major uh venture capitalists some of these huge firms with hundreds of millions or billions of dollars that you talked about. And what it describes as well is that this group uh, also includes or gets briefings from uh, people from the Israeli foreign ministry, people from the Israeli military, and even that members of this group are using the group, for one thing, to organize campaigns, to harass people online and get them fired, just as what happened with Paddy Gosgrave. But also, and this was incredible to me, to fundraise and purchase military equipment to send to the Israeli army. And these are tech bosses and tech CEOs and investors and so on. Is that something you would ever come across before, or did that surprise you when you saw it?
2: I I think it did. One of my investors, um, Madako, put hundred thousand um, dollars and m- matching uh, to to give you know money to to humanitarian services on the ground. But you can see when when it actually happens that it involves giving money um, to the IDF. Um, it is it is frankly frankly shocking to me the the overlap between um, I mean, the, the the involvement of, of the IDF. These are one of the things that, that that you see most in in the tech industry, and one of the the sort of touch points over the years has been free speech. And in particular, the the exact same investors who talk so much about free speech are ones who who are silencing or creating. Um, the the inability of people to speak up, while at the same time they are um, you know supporting the the, the IDF
0: directly.
3: And uh, Paul, if I could, if I could ask also, this is something that is generally promoted by Israel that Israel is the so called startup nation. This is a campaign that's been going on for years, and that Israeli companies are very big and prominent in tech, and also that there are a lot of Israeli tech workers in the United States and around the world. And now in Ireland, which is where you're from, there was a recent report about a a significant number of visas being given to Israeli tech workers. Of course, we can't uh, generalize about all Israeli tech workers, some of them may have very good views or, or it may even be against this genocide, we don't know. But in a general sense, how do you see that Israeli presence in the tech world playing out in terms of that suppression of speech, or does it? I mean, is is that a factor at all?
2: Yeah, let, let, let me give you one, one example of um, a group chat that I was in. So this is this is a group chat of the venture firm Boldstart. They're a New York-based firm. Um And they they invest in enterprise tech and they usually write the first check. So they they write $250,000 checks to to $1 million to relatively new companies. And, you know, the group chat is, is, it's usually founders of their portfolio companies, so people that they've invested in. And they put out statements in support of of Israel um, right into November. Um, and every one of those was, you know, it's in Slack. They were, they were hearted. There were people saying, "Thank you so much for your support of Israel." Uh, one of the founders, Ed Sim, was was posting on Twitter throughout this time of their unrelenting support for Israel. And this was, this was, you know, long into where we can already see the genocide had become. There was, you know, in, in November, 10, 000, 10 maybe it was five thousand. I'm not sure of the the actual numbers uh, at this point, and. I I left that group when I, when I posted my, my blog post and I said, here, listen, I'm going to leave this group here. are The reasons why, um, I'm, I'm out. And I was sent screenshots of the conversation after I left and it was people saying, we continue to support Israel, you know, December, December 15th. We're talking about right, Um, 20,000 dead. We continue to support Israel. Thank you for your support of Israel. Um, poor Paul, he's so sad and deluded. You know, the, we, we support him and his convictions, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it was extremely pro-Israel and continued to be. Um, and, you know, I honestly can't see how, how any Palestinian or, or honestly Arab founders would want to work with these people. And that's what they've been telling me in, you know, in, in emails and, and DMs. Paul, um, while...
0: While this is happening, there was uh, just a couple days ago, um, the uh, Times of Israel uh, reported that quote a delegation of 65 investors, CEOs, and senior executives of U.S.-based technology, venture capital, and private equity firms uh, will be arriving in a show of quote solidarity and to hold meetings, Um, and the Uh, CEO of meetup.com, David Siegel, uh, said that after October 7th, we feel it is critical for venture capital and technology business leaders to stand with Israel. That means more than donating, but also being present to say that we have always been and will always be there to support Israel's flourishing tech ecosystem. We will invest and continue to stand with the quote startup nation. Um, and and uh, Siegel said that the trip was oversubscribed for, atten- for attendees. The technology community re- recognizes the heightened need for support as many Israeli entrepreneurs and their workforces are on the front lines as reservists. Um, at the same time, here in the Bay Area uh, where I'm based, there have been protests by Google and Amazon workers um, to tr- and, and members of the community uh, to try and get these big tech companies to stop um, contracting with the Israeli military, um, where where do you see this going, and what's the significance of of both the, you know, these like sustained protests um, against these tech companies, but then, you know, these uh, venture capitalists going going on you know propaganda tours to uh, the quote startup nation. Yeah, so you know, th- there's
2: a desperate need for. Israel and for Israeli supporters or supporters of Israel to to keep the narrative at supporting Israel, um, and you can see this in in investors, you know, talking continually about um, anti-Semitism on on you know at Harvard that that sort of thing. The um, you know the, the the tech mission to Israel is to me just you know part of the exact same movement. I've seen. Um, I've seen the agenda. I've seen the people who are on that list. There'll be an article coming out in the intercepts maybe today uh, that, that that has that list. And, you know, they're, they're meeting with the IDF. They're, they're meeting with president Herzog um, on Thursday, I think, you know, these, this is like deeply embedded in the, um, in the Israeli military um, and the, the machine that, that keeps the genocide going. And it, it's, it's very deliberate. Um, the, the focus of the investors um, and the the you know related uh, pro Israeli uh, people on the trip, you know, often often CEOs and, and powerful people in tech, is to keep our eyes off it and to keep us to stop talking about what is actually happening because it allows them to, or it allows Israel um, to to keep doing what it's doing. And the unfortunate thing is that you know these these investors um, and tech executives are are very powerful. They they have the ability to shape a lot of the conversation. A lot of them were involved in shaping the conversation about you know talking about anti-Semitism on on, on campuses uh, and all of it. And, and some of them will will admit it and say it out loud. Uh, Max Altman, who's who's the brother of of Sam Altman, who's the CEO of. Um, uh, of OpenAI was saying, you know, good job on Sam on being on the front page of uh, of New York Times to take conversation away from what's happening in Israel.
3: Uh, Paul, you have talked about the silencing effect within the world of tech, effectively censorship, and the Li Fang article and Jack Paulson article we talked about actually goes into the nitty gritty of how the people the the powerful people in this WhatsApp group are organizing micro-level campaigns to harass prominent people online if they dare to speak out or to, to uh, basically intimidate them into silence. That's within the world of tech, and that's very significant given the impact of, of tech. But just to give you an example, something we struggle with on this live stream We're a news uh, program, we're a news outlet. Everyone can see what we do. Uh, But at the same time, we've had one episode of this live stream taken down by YouTube without any explanation or opportunity, any real opportunity to appeal it. And we've had uh, another video taken down. It wasn't a live stream, but it was another video we'd made all in the last two months in the context of the genocide because we discussed in in one case, we discussed videos put out by the Palestinian resistance. And again, we do this in the context of news and analysis. What do these videos show? What are they telling us? Of course, we discuss also videos that come out from the Israeli army, although I don't think we've ever had a show censored because we showed something from the Israeli army. So, we're constantly checking ourselves and saying, how far can we talk about this video? And we're going to be talking about some later in this uh, program as well. I knew people were asking us in the comments, and the answer is yes, we are. Um, But so that's the censorship on the bigger scale. And over the years, there have been reports about these tech companies, whether it's Google or Twitter or other ones, Facebook, Meta, that are in collusion with the U.S. and Israeli governments to shape the narrative—is that—is ha- that happening? Are we being too sensitive? Are we being too paranoid? What do you think? You,
2: you, you, you're not at all. I, I think one of the problem with with you know things where you start thinking we're paranoid is this a is this a conspiracy theory? You know. Is that, that that they're not grand schemes. they'' they're, they're simply the the natural effects of um, you know capital movements and education and investment and things that have been happening for for years. So you know Israel has a uh, has a very powerful uh, army and that army often has a lot of technologists in it and, and there's a there's a specific unit of it called the uh, 8200 unit. Uh, where people are working in signal intelligence and that sort of thing, and an awful lot of these people become tech founders afterwards. And those you know tech founders, they go to Silicon Valley. Some of them become uh, investors. There's an awful lot of investors who've been in the IDF, um, and there's there's an awful lot of of investors who who have Israeli citizenship, um, who you know in some cases have lived in Israel. Um, you know so. You you can just look at it as as the effects of of capital and counter to that you know Gaza and the West Bank have been in lockdown for you know seventy five years they, they they started with nothing in nineteen forty eight and you know as a result they have not been able to be part of the same conversation there there are there are very very few Palestinian investors there's very few Palestinian sympathetic investors um, even. You know, I, I've had conversations with Arab investors um, who, who are based in America and who are discriminated here on the basis of their name, on the basis of the color of their skin, and who are trying to succeed in, in this world as well. It's where it's where they live. Um, but you know, it's it's nothing like particularly insidious or planned. I mean, this this WhatsApp group is is definitely planned, and you know, the, the IDF is, is definitely planning things, but for the most part, it's it's systemic, and I, I look at it a lot like Black Lives Matter. That the the issues of racism in America, it's it's not a couple of guys got together. I mean, not since seventy seventy six um, got together to to keep them down. It's that there's a systemic thing where where capital um, and where the people who benefit from the existing status quo. Um, Continue to be part of that status quo and continue to advocate for the things that they believe in, and it's just the voices are disproportionately um, pro-Israeli.
0: Well, finally, Paul, um, what are you calling on people in tech to do right now? What can they do? What what are what are the steps that people can take?
2: The most important thing is to create a situation where tech recognizes the humanity of the Palestinians. To, to a lot of tech, Gaza is, is just a place that they've never seen and they're not aware of. Um, the, you know they've perhaps never met a Palestinian, and they are, are not aware uh, of what's happening. And so what we and what I've started working on is, is just creating a movement towards the humanization of the Palestinians, recognizing that there are two sides in this conflict, that everyone wants peace, and changing the narrative from being pro-Israel um, to one that is uh, pro-peace, uh, pro-cease-fire. Um, and there's, there's a lot of initiatives that, that, that I'm, I'm just facilitating, people that people that are reaching out to me. Um, but it's it's very much uh, the, the center theme is recognizing the, the humanity of Palestinians.
0: Paul Biggar, uh CEO of Darklang and the founder of CircleCI. Um, we are so grateful to have you on today. Uh, and yeah, we're putting the uh, link to your blog uh, up on the screen now so people can go and read more of your work. We'd love to have you back on. Uh, thank you so much, Paul.
2: Delighted to be part of the movement. Thank you
3: so much for having me. Thank you, yeah. Paul. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. And this is the Electronic Intifada uh, broadcast uh, for Tuesday, December 19th. Um, Ali, did you want to uh, talk a little bit about um, what we're going to be turning to next?
3: Yes, well, we're going to be turning to a lot of um, interesting jelly beans. People are wondering why we have or some of us have come to referring to these videos as jelly beans. I think that was a word that just popped into my head when we were trying to avoid the censorship. I thought, what would be a word that we could call them? That uh, It was a joke, but it seems to have stuck. So those of you who are wondering why we keep referring to jelly beans or why some people in the, in the uh, comments do, that's why. But yeah, I just wanted to give a quick reminder before we do that that uh, uh, from now, actually, starting from last week until the end of December, when you make a donation to support all the journalism of the Electronic Intifada, uh, it will be doubled. There are a couple of, uh, let's call them angels, to use the word that Paul taught us about, angel investors. But these are angel donors who've come together and they've said, We really believe in the work of the Electronic Intifada, we uh, support the work you're doing, and we want others to do so soon. So anyone who makes a donation between now and December 31st, these angels will match your donation fully, dollar for dollar. So this is an important opportunity for us, and I hope for you who want to do something to support what we do. Um, And we're so grateful to people to the many people who have already donated. I'll just say as a quick reminder that most of the funds we uh, use during the whole year, we raise in December. So the donation you make now will support our work throughout the coming year. And right now, when we're publishing more, we're working more, we're reaching more people, our costs go up. So your support is incredibly crucial. To supporting everything you see at the electronic intifada first and foremost the incredible reportage from our colleagues in gaza who are doing amazing work we support them we uh we pay for all that work we pay them for that work it's so important to do that and everything else you see including this live stream our podcast all the articles and analysis we do That's why we're independent. That's why we can have these uncensored discussions. So just a reminder, your donation will be fully matched until the end of the year, but don't wait till the end of the year. Help us get this done today. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Ali. Um, And uh, now we're going to turn to John. John, you uh, have been looking into the situation around Yemen's involvement, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks. and we're gonna be uh, uh, watching some media as well, and then we'll turn to the uh, Jelly Beans content um, afterwards. But, but give, us, give us an overview of uh, what you've been uh, seeing in terms of Yemen and why it's so significant.
4: Yeah, it's good to see everybody. Um, We've been wanting to do Yemen since the beginning of this conflict. And there's just, uh, there's so much in the day, in the shows to cover on Gaza that we just haven't given, um, we haven't had the time, but we've wanted to do this for a long time. So um, shout out to Yemen. Um, This should have come a lot earlier. But um, yeah, so essentially Yemen has set up um, a blockade, a de facto blockade. Um, of the strait that goes in from the Arabian Sea into the Red Sea to the Suez Canal, which is a critical shipping route, um, one of the three most critical shipping routes um, in the world, um, and the Yemeni armed forces, um, under what the known in the West as the Houthi movement, um, named after um, its leader Abdel Malik al-Houthi, but they call themselves Ansar Allah. Um, and the Yemeni Armed Forces. Um, And essentially as a direct response to the blockade and um, siege on Gaza, um, the Yemeni Armed Forces um, sort of threw down a gauntlet and said, um, until the siege of Gaza ends, um, shipping by Israeli companies through the Red Sea um, wasn't going to happen. And they backed that up with, the seizure of, um, of an Israeli flagged or, or an Israeli adjacent um, ship um, to show that they meant business. But what they have been doing is before that they were warning ships not to go. Um, they boarded ships um, and told them to turn around um, and effectively have set up a de facto blockade um, of Israeli ports and travel through the Red Sea um, through the Suez and into uh, the Mediterranean Sea. So this is a significant shipping route. It's an oil shipping route. It's a container uh, shipping route. It's already an area that's full of uh, warships from all over the world. But the United States is, of course, since October 7th, really uh, buttressed their force um, in this area. And so it's basically crawling with American Uh, warships and destroyers, cruise missile destroyers. And um, the Yemenis have used um, their media um, really well. Um, And of course, they have the support of the Yemeni population, which is overwhelmingly in support of the Palestinians. And I think a lot of people in the Arab world have watched um, this resistance from the Yemenis joining in this war. Um, And it really stands in stark contrast to, of course, to their repressive governments who don't represent um, the feeling on the streets. So um, I think Yemen has found a legitimacy um, in this blockade and is participating in the war um, in a consequential manner, opening up a Southern front um, to the war that includes the war in the North uh, with Hezbollah um, now, this war in the south. So, the, the um, Ansar Allah has attacked um, a lot as well, southern Israel, um, principally using um, ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, and drones, loitering drones, um, which are something that the um, Yemeni Armed Forces has uh, a lot of experience with over the past nine years. Um, fighting against uh, the Saudi U.S coalition um, that attempted to overthrow their uprising. Um, and so they're not a, they're not a non-state actor. They have resources of an armed force. and in fact, they have um, anti-ship um, capabilities that no other um, states uh, Very few states have. And so they did this um, blockade verbally. They expressed how it was going to happen. And then this video that we're seeing right now was from November 19th, um, when the Yemeni armed forces boarded um, the Galaxy Leader, which was uh, an Israeli owned, is an Israeli owned ship. Um, And you can see just even from this video, they have the capabilities they have radar capabilities to find these ships, and they have helicopter capabilities to land uh, a reaction force um, onto the ship. So they're 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 not a guerrilla force anymore. They were a guerrilla force in the fight um, against the Saudis, um, but they have um, turned themselves and used the resources of the state um, to to form a considerable. Um, you know, quasi-state force. And so this footage of this taking over this container ship obviously caused a lot of concern um, in the Western world, and it resulted in the Americans moving um, an aircraft carrier strike group into the Red Sea um, in an attempt to protect these ships um, which it did not do. It did not. It has not worked. There has been more attacks um, since this ship was taken over. Um, and we can see in this video that it's obviously a complex operation. It involves the helicopters. You see the, the boats flanking it. Um, and at this point, you also see them flying a Palestinian flag uh, on the roof of the of the ship. So, again, this is a a major shipping corridor, 12 percent of the world's oil, um, as much as 30 percent of U.S. or of uh, international um, shipping containers at any point can be passing through uh, the Red Sea into uh, the Suez Canal to get into the Mediterranean Sea. Um, And so uh, Ansar Allah has warned ships um, not to pass. And there has been... um, a considerable effect to this that we have seen. This has been happening for two months, um, but we've seen over the last few days um, it step up considerably. And this map here shows you what the consequence of closing the Suez Canal is for shipping. It means instead of taking the shortcut, it means you have to traverse all the way around the southern tip of Africa, which can cause delays depending on the shipping um, from a couple of weeks to a month. Um, the shipping costs, of course, go through the roof because the um, the costs and logistics um, of the trip become many fold increased. Um, and so you see this um, de facto blockade creating a situation that the United States um, feels like they have to actively be involved in. And they're Here's the State Department's response to this ship, and we can hear the, uh, the Yemeni response to it. This is from, uh, from November. The Houthi uh,
2: seizure of a, the motor vessel Galaxy Leader in the Red Sea is a flagrant violation of international law. We demand the immediate release of the ship and its crew, and we will consult with our allies and UN partners as appropriate on next steps. Thank you.
4: So we demand the release of the ship, and this is the Ansar Allah media representative uh, for their armed forces. He simply says, no. Um, and so this kind of defiance, um, and, and inability to be deterred in the, in the sense that, uh, um, the Western powers, um, always intend with their threats. And we know from Nasrallah's speech that, um, all of these other fronts, um, Uh, Lebanon, that the Americans are phoning constantly behind the scenes, Nasrallah said, threatening everybody, um, threatening that if they participate, that their countries will be destroyed and sent back to the Stone Age and whatnot. And um, the Yemenis, who have nine years of experience fighting the American-Saudi coalition, just simply say no, um, which is just um, like a defiance that spreads throughout the Arab world and is um, a real source of pride for the Palestinians. Abu Obeda has, of course, mentioned uh, mentioned this. And the Americans um, have been forced to have warships, um, um, missile destroyers that escort their aircraft carriers, actually downing and then you can see from this map just how many American assets there are in this area that are unable to deal with Yemen, who, depending on how you classify, can be considered the poorest country in the world, um, devastated by nine years of war, famine, um, uh, but their resistance is is prompting the Americans to have so many warships that you can barely put it on a map. Like this map's almost absurd. Um, And they're constantly um, shooting down um, ballistic and cruise missiles. And what the um, Ansar Allah has used to great effect is drone swarms. They use loitering drones or suicide drones, drones that are themselves missile capable. um, And they, they flood the area with uh, numerous drones to attempt to get through um, air defense systems, which is something they did to great effect in Saudi Arabia when they targeted um, Saudi oil refineries um, during that war. So essentially what the, what Ansar Allah has done ha- has basically been to draw a line um, in this area that the Americans are trying to work with their allies to figure out what to do. Um, because the Yemenis have the capability to shut down shipping to Israel, um, which is very um, considerable. Um, So the Israeli economy is already stretched by 360,000 people called up into the reserves. Um, You know, air traffic has all but stopped um, into Ben Gurion um, airport in Tel Aviv. It's just a trickle. Um, and so they've Israel has lost this sort of core part of their economy, which is like um, the Jews of the world coming to visit family, you know, what would be called uh, tourism writ large. But it's lo- a lot of it is family visits and and whatnot. Um, so that's been a huge uh, hit to the Israeli economy. Um of course, we know that there's no laborers from the West Bank accessing Israel. They've been shut out of Israel, so they've lost hundreds of thousands of West Bank laborers. They lost hundreds of thousands of Gaza laborers when um, after the attack, got, they sealed the border with Gaza. We know that they've lost tens of thousands of Thai workers who were their, um, their labor force um, you know, on their kibbutz farms and whatnot. Um, So there's already those uh, very considerable um, gouges out of the Israeli economy. We also know that, um, you know, 500,000 Israelis from the north and the south are evacuated from their communities and they're um, dependent on the state as well. So the state's putting them up, Israel's putting them up in hotels at considerable cost for an indefinite period of time. Um, And also just because you've evacuated those communities, there's no basic economy happening in those communities. So stores, shops are all closed. Um, Unemployment's tripled um, in Israel in the last month, just in the last month. um, More than 50 percent of Israeli businesses had lost more than 50 percent of their revenues in the that was from the first week in November. So there's a month on top of that. Um, that's been piled on top of that. Um, we know they get um, those significant airlifts from um, from the Americans, um, but this basic trade um, for Israel—it's foodstuffs and whatnot. Um, it's vehicles. One of the two of the ships were vehicle ships that had more than ten thousand cars that were headed to Israel. And you can see there's a strait right off the coast of Aden there on the southern tip of Yemen which has been a, a, like the colonizers um, um, prize um, for the whole time of naval warfare because of its control over that strait, that skinny little piece of land, uh, of piece of water in between the two in between uh, Yemeni land um, that gives them significant um, uh, pull. And it's one of the reasons why the colonists um, targeted Yemen. But since 1967, um, Yemen has been independent and they've been able to to use their state apparatus to effectively create a blockade of Israel um, that's blockading one of the most significant um, trade routes in the world. Um, And so if you count the number of Israelis that have had to leave their communities, plus the number that's called up you have almost a million people removed from their society um, generating income um, for their state. And on top of that, they need to be paid out by the government. And Netanyahu has talked about um, setting up a war economy um, where they're just dumping money into anyone who needs it. So this kind of warfare um, is not sustainable. And when you put the, um, the actual consequences... Of Ansar Allah running um, effectively a naval blockade, a veto um, over Israeli ports with a basic um, with a basic explanation: end the siege on Gaza, um, or the blockade will continue. And there's no threat that comes from the Americans. Um, that that there's no threat that that comes from the Americans that detours the Yemenis because, for one thing. They're deeply popular. This position is deeply popular within their society. Um, we, we saw this demonstration last weekend that I, I don't even know how you can. Is that a million people? Uh, many, many hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so it's deeply popular. And uh, and 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 Answer Allah has said straightforwardly. Um, we're not afraid of escalating. If you wanna escalate this war, we're ready. And countries like the UAE um, hear that kind of thing and they're not so sure they wanna participate in something that that, that has the capability. Yemen has the capability to shut the UAE's ports um, within minutes. Um, They have the capacity to make people decide uh, which side you're on in this genocide. And the United States has had to respond to this. Actually, just from this, 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 um, tomorrow, do we have the, the, um, the spokesperson, Yahya Sari, riding off from this speech? So he gives this speech in front of, uh, what looks like a million people. And he doesn't hop into a bulletproof suburban, he hops on the back of this just regular Yemeni guy's motorcycle wearing his sandals. And apparently, the story goes that uh, Yahya yeah, Sare um, wanted to pay the Yemeni price to for the motorcycle ride, and the motorcyclist said, "No, no, 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 no! Uh, it's half off." <laughs> and so, um, just to show that 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 this 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 is a deeply popular position to be taken. And I'm sure in the UAE, if the UAE's uh, Emirati leadership were decide to take this position, it would be deeply popular there, of, of course, because people in the Arab world are watching with horror um, what's happening and are, uh, you know, embarrassed, ashamed of the role that their, um, their governments are playing in this. So, um, yeah, the Yemeni veto, the Yemeni blockade. Um, has forced the Americans to set up, uh, so these are the a list of the attacks, um, which generally include drone swarms, um, but have included some anti-ship missiles um, that are then forced to be shot down by the American carriers. Um, I have the numbers here somewhere, but it was s- something on the order of 75 um, um, missiles, drones um, had, had been shot down Um, since October 7th, um, that are targeting either the ships um, or, in a lot of cases, targeting Israel itself. And so the U.S. has had to set up, um, and also just to say, in the last couple of days, um, the largest shipping companies in the world have decided that they're quitting the Red Sea. So Zim, uh, Hapeg Lloyd, Maersk, Mediterranean Shipping Company, Euronav, um, the French CMA, CGM. And then yesterday, BP, British Petroleum, said that they weren't going to ship through the Suez um, uh, either. So they've created um, what the BBC called a maritime security crisis um, by essentially blockading um, blockading access to Israel um, until Israel removes the um, the siege on Gaza. And we know that the Yemenis have also targeted um, American assets. They targeted an MQ-9 Reaper drone earlier in the war, which was a $40 million drone that was um, flying over Gaza and then moved down to the Red Sea, um, and the Houthis knocked it out of the air. And so they appear to be ready for this fight. And the United States has now set up. Excuse me, just last thing, Ali, that the United States has now set up this naval um, task force dedicated specifically to um, combating the um, the Ansar Allah blockade. And they named um, they named this operation Operation Prosperity Guardian. So in the midst of the genocide. They have, you know, which you could reword as uh, Operation Protect Capitalism, uh, Operation <laughs> Protect Imperialism. It's basically the same words, right? Operation, Operation Money, Cross. Money, Money. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the considerable loss, the economic um, legitimacy um, of Israel in this war is one of the fronts that's in question, um, and so they've 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 stood up this. Um, naval task force that includes um
3: john my... let me ask you about yeah. this this is an important uh, point, and that that's such a, a brilliant uh, and detailed overview so they're setting up this task force which includes we can maybe put that back up on the screen they announced a 10 nation task force which includes the united kingdom bahrain canada france italy netherlands norway The Seychelles and Spain. What's noticeable about that, this is a test of everyone's geography, is that not a single one of those countries actually borders onto the Red Sea. The Seychelles is in the Indian Ocean, but it's not really on the Red Sea. And there have been reports that the United States is trying to bring Egypt into this and trying to bring Jordan into this and that it tried and failed to bring Saudi Arabia into this which is very interesting given Saudi Arabia's uh, de facto alliance with Israel at least prior to this war and the fact that Jordan is a close ally of the United States and as we've talked about uh, previously on this live stream and reported Jordan is actually hosting large numbers of military forces that are part of the sort of regional shield for Israel. Uh, That's under Jordan's U.S. uh, security agreement with Israel, the 2021 security agreement. Of course, Jordan denies that the the purpose of this is to defend Israel, but that's certainly why the United States is sending the forces there. So uh, the, the question then about the politics of this the fact that even the countries like Egypt and Jordan and Saudi Arabia that are very close to the U.S. are unwilling to take part in a naval operation whose purpose, or at least even to give it legitimacy, because they don't know what sort of navies the Saudis or Egypt or the Jordanians have, but they would give it the cover of legitimacy of an operation whose goal is to protect Israel while it perpetrates genocide. So I guess is the, the politics of this don't really work well for the US. What are its options? It's put this task force together. Is it gonna start bombing Yemen? And if so, how would that play both politically and militarily?
4: Yeah, it's like they're trying to make a coalition of the willing, right? From the, from the older Iraq days. Um, And and the states that you pointed out, um, both they can't do it because of their own populations in part, but also they can't do it because they don't want to fight with Yemen. Like I said about the UAE, the UAE joins that um, task force um, and and carries out some sort of operation against the Houthis and they decide um, that Ansar Allah decides to respond. And now all of a sudden you have this whole different regional war. Like we've talked about the regional war in the north um, and where people fall on that um, divide. But now the Houthis have forced Ansar Allah has forced people um in the South to make these decisions. And so the idea that you're setting up this international task force, um, I mean the 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 Ansar Allah responded to that already today and said if we're attacked, we'll attack back. And they have the capability. I mean, we saw that map um, earlier with the number of warships that the Americans have in floating off um, the coast of Yemen. Those are all targets. And we know from previous uh, from the war with the Saudis that they're very able to reach those ships. Um, and and so the, the the gauntlet has been thrown down and, and Ansar Allah has made people decide. Um, to pick a side and they don't appear um, to be backing down in any way. In fact, like just even collecting the media for this show, they're like even minutes before we go on the air, they're making statements um, threatening um, that they'll reply if you attack us. And so they have this media front that is, um, you know, doing an excellent job of participating in the information war. Um, maybe the best of anybody um, in terms of um, just like the humor and the disposition that they've taken. And again, we saw those pictures. It's because it's deeply popular um, within within their country. And I, I don't even know, like, what are those pictures? That is so many people at a demonstration. And,
3: and by the way, John, that's <laughs> not new for Yemen at it's all. It's not, no. And it's incredible, the support from the people of Yemen but I just want to say something about the language that um, international media use for this they call it a blockade or they call it attacks on shipping or they call it all sorts of things that give it a negative spin but what I, I call it and I think it's the most accurate term is this is a humanitarian intervention by Yemen they are meeting their responsibilities morally and and I would say legally, under the genocide convention, to intervene, all countries that ratify the genocide convention. I actually don't know. I haven't checked if Yemen is a uh, is a has ratified the genocide convention. But in any case, in a general sense, the genocide convention places on uh, an obligation on governments to intervene. And so that's what Yemen is doing. It's doing what all countries should be doing intervening to stop the genocide. So this is a true humanitarian intervention and uh, it's one that is being widely supported across the region. One thing I just noticed John while you were speaking I have the marine traffic app on my phone and you can see there is still quite a bit of traffic going through the Red Sea bound for the Suez Canal and those are presumably not ships bound for Israel but I did notice that some of the ships are now altering their transponder messages to broadcast that they are carrying armed guards and that's something I'd, I'd never seen before so that's an interesting development.
4: Yeah and because of that the insurance um, is another thing about the shipping is that because they have to hire security um, that increases the cost as well Um and the shipping costs of insurance um, go up considerably. So when you have high-value um, shipping, like oil uh, or vehicles and whatnot, the shipping, the insurance costs become um, extraordinary. Some people um, talked about eight times the price of what it was originally. Once you you factor in going all the way around Africa or having armed guards. And essentially that's what these ships are too, right? Like this ship is an operation to this naval task force is an operation to protect capitalism, um, to protect the free flow of goods um, in the face of a genocide. And and as you said, all of these countries um, that have these warships and have these capabilities, they could be taking those capabilities and taking them off the coast uh, of Israel and resupplying the people in Gaza, who are being literally starved to death. Um, They have the capacity, like France, who's joining this coalition, they have the capacity to put a hospital ship or an electrical power station ship um, off the coast of Gaza. Um, But Israel somehow is allowed to have a de facto blockade. Like the BBC doesn't talk about the the siege um, as, as a maritime crisis. Um, they don't talk about uh, Gaza as being part of the world, um, you know, the world trade system. It's like they don't count. They're just inside a prison and they're allowed to be blockaded. But if the Yemenis um, carry out a humanitarian intervention, the Pentagon, um, you know, how many weeks... Did it take the Pentagon to pull together this naval task force? Um, you know, while Yahya Sari's riding off in his sandals in a crowd of a million people, um, the juxtaposition of those two, um, and and as you say, the juxtaposition of the humanitarian uh, intervention versus the um, you know the the brutal siege on Gaza. Um, It's very stark, and they've put that um, to the world in a very stark manner. This country um, that was supposed to lose the war, like the Saudis um, said that they had won the war uh, against Yemen like two weeks into the war, right? Like similar to how the Israelis declared that they had won the war in 2006 in Lebanon after two days. Um, But here, here they are nine years later um, forcing the Americans who are part of that war, um, to come up with a naval task force. So you're not going to deter them. And also they know how to fight. They've been fighting these wars, they're skilled fighters, and they have the apparatus of the state, the Yemeni armed forces, and they're using it.
0: Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. Um, and, You know, yeah, like with all the, it just, it just, it's, it's so indicative of how the West, um, continues to make all the wrong, all the wrong choices. Um, I mean, they could, you know, they wouldn't need a task force if they understood and abided by this humanitarian intervention in the first place. They wouldn't, they wouldn't need to threaten anybody else. With any, you know, military occupations or you know, warships off the coast of all these countries, if they just stopped Israel from committing these genocides, it could. It is very easy, and they always make the uh, the worst, the worst choices um, that have the worst consequences for people. Um, let's uh, let's uh, segue into. The segment that um, in which we show all sorts of jelly beans, Um, as Ali mentioned, we use this code word um, to help circumvent the the censors. We, uh, yeah, John, tell us about the uh, the humanitarian interventions (laughs) and the the, these jelly beans that we're seeing um, coming out from the uh, Palestinian resistance groups in defense of palestinians in gaza
4: okay well let's sandwich in between these two resistance movements um let's let's sandwich this video of this um, young girl in palestine describing um, how people feel uh on the ground and and how the resistance is not just um within the armed struggle um, but but um, the resistance goes through the society in general. Do we have that? the
1: land of the for the last of my the last When I am done. I'm done. I'm I'm done. i i بالمره رغم انك هلا كتير بردانه ويمكن جوعانه وما في أدوية والوضع صعب برضو مش هتطلعي برضو مش هتطلعي حضرنا هل قد بتحبي فلسطين اه هل جاي. اطفال فلسطين ما بتخلوش عنها زي ما حكت له هنيه انا دم فلسطيني انا دم فلسطيني
0: <تصفيق>
4: The children it's, of Palestine. Uh, yeah, yeah.
3: It, it's, I mean, it, it's it's incredible because that's the spirit you hear from people in Gaza, but it's also heartbreaking that this is something children even have to think about, um, that that they should even be placed in that, that uh, position. And I should say that that's the message we're getting from many of our friends in Gaza. We check in with them. I, j- I just want to take the opportunity to say, we do check in every day with our friends and colleagues in, in Gaza. Over the last few days, communications have been cut off, as Nora mentioned in the opening. But they've started to come back in some places and not in others, or they go away in some places and not in others. And so we are trying to stay connected with our colleagues and our writers in Gaza every day. and. Uh, what I, I remember one I, I won't I won't name them just because I didn't get permission to to quote it, but they used almost exactly same exactly the same words. Things are difficult. Things are awful. Things are indescribably horrible. But we are steadfast, and it just uh, shows the scale of the miscalculation that Israel has made. the that murdering and bombing and massacring people, the massacres do not stop, that this will break people, and it hasn't broken them. And I think the feeling is that were it not for the cowardice of the Israelis, as John has called it repeatedly, of of bombing hospitals, bombing homes, bombing shelters, attacking the most vulnerable defenseless people, people would support the war going on because they see the resistance doing very well if it was a fight between the palestinian resistance and the israeli army uh you wouldn't have the same uh the uh, the urgency to stop the war the ceasefire right now is because israel is committing a genocide against children like that little girl but as we're going to see now i i guess in some of the videos uh when we look at the battle soldier to soldier, so to speak, or let's say Palestinian soldier versus Israeli terrorist, it's quite a different story. What, what do you say to that, John?
4: Yes, it is. and it, it couldn't be more stark um, uh, and, and w- w- why don't we just get get into them and we'll show how stark uh, the the juxtaposition is. Um, on the one hand, uh, so these, this first video is Sheikh Redwan. This is in the um, northwest of Gaza City. This is them wiring up a homemade um, explosive. Um, and then we see in this, again, they're rigging these explosives and detonating them remotely. So their fighters are not carrying out martyrdom missions, but are actually returning back to their base after these fights. Um, which is which is a considerable um, development when you're building an army to protect your human resources in that way. Um, it's something that has been remarkable to watch. We've even seen so these are Yassin strikes on uh, armored vehicles, and again we talked about this before the war started. But look at these this fighting is taking place in the rubble. So Palestinians are using the rubble of their destroyed homes. Um, to attack, you know, Israel attacks the civilians, destroys their homes, and now the Palestinians are using that rubble as part of the terrain to fight um, in an area that's otherwise an open desert. So these are hits on troops outside of their tanks. Again, they don't match the casualty rates that we're seeing. Like, for example, the Israelis said yesterday that there was 40 injured and you could come up with pretty close to that just in these videos alone. And every fighter doesn't have a GoPro. Um, Every camera, every crew doesn't have a camera. Again, this is using um, an attack tunnel. Oh, this is the tunnel where the Israelis sent the dog down into. Um, so the Israelis are coming, uh, inching closer and closer to fighting in the tunnels, but they're not doing it. They sent um, a tunnel dog down in the. But
3: Qassam actually said, John, in this case, if I, I remember correctly, they said that they set this as a trap for the Israelis. So this wasn't this the. So Qassam, according to their account, the Palestinian resistance, they wanted the Israelis to come down this tunnel. Yeah.
4: And that's that's the way it is. There, the the tunnels are, and that's one of the reasons why the Israelis won't go in them because they're afraid of the. Uh, I mean, they're afraid of it on so many levels. We've talked about it for a while, but there's so many different dimensions that are added to the fight when you go underground, um, which we'll see. We 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 have tunnels coming up, but we'll 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 keep it into the order. But we'll get to the tunnels. Um, there, the tunnels parts um, after. Let's go to the. Okay. Yeah. So the, again, look at this clo- this distance, and so the the Trophy system, the active protection system on the Israeli tanks that shoots down um, the incoming ground, um, it's not effective if you're within sixty meters. So that's the burning turret of the tank. Again, people ask like, what happens to these vehicles? Are they really being destroyed? i mean we see it in the comments i don't know how much more you need than that the secondary explosions the pieces of it flying in the air Um, if the yassines the gaza made warheads for the rpg um, are within 60 meters you're you're getting direct hits and they know where to hit on the vehicle so they're hitting it in the back behind underneath Um, and this is something that we know from um Captured from fighters that went into Israel on October 7th, that they had like cheat sheets, um, and they've studied where to hit on these vehicles. Um, and so th- this one was a funny one because it was like the easiest edit that the Kassam video editor had to make when he just a massive uh triangle. Um, again, but you see the, the proximity.
3: Seen, uh, I, I just uh, the 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 videos we're going to watch will leave no doubt about what's happening to these uh, tanks and armored vehicles that are hit. But we've also seen uh, yesterday there was one Israeli soldier who posted a photo of himself all bandaged up from a hospital bed saying that he was burned up in a tank in Gaza. So those who are not being killed are ending up sometimes very badly injured. That's not something I enjoy saying. All of this war is entirely unnecessary and the choice of Israel, uh, but that is what happens when they are sending people into Gaza to carry out genocide and to enforce occupation and apartheid, is that their people are getting killed and injured.
4: And you don't have to explode the whole tank. So it, that's not how it works. What you're trying to do with armor-piercing um warheads is just to to pierce the tank. And so you don't need to rip a massive hole in it to, to cause casualties. You just have to have a single um a single piece break through, and then you're inside, you're trapped inside this metal box that the Israelis um refused to come out of and we still see uh whatever day 74 are we, we we still don't see the israelis walking beside their tanks in part because the trophy active protection we actually
3: systems. we actually will we will see an israeli walking beside Yes the we do
4: and we see yeah. the one of the reasons why they don't do that coming yeah. up <laughs> Do you want to go are we um
0: Yeah let's let's go to the, the next jelly bean
4: the next jelly bean is the coronets one um tamara so this is
1: a um, um, so th- this is
4: a meeting between um halevi who's the chief of the um the chief of the IDF and he's meeting with this colonel in beit lahia um and he asks yesterday was there an indication for anti tank missile fire here um and his and his officer confirms yeah there's anti-tank missile fire here. And anti-tank missile fire is separate from Yassin's. Uh, Anti-tank missiles are, in these cases, are usually Concours or Cornet um, wire-guided missiles that are stronger than Yassin's that can go farther and can penetrate deeper. And so this is the command, the chief of the IDF asking in Beit Lahia, his guys, are we out of range of anti-tank weapons? And Um, which haven't been used very much by the Palestinians yet. There's only been a couple of instances of them using them. Um, The cornet is a weapon that Hezbollah has been using for this last two months and used in the 2006 war to great effect. Um, And for the Palestinians, uh, according to the Israelis, it was an anti-tank guided missile that hit the Namur troop carrier back on the 1st of November when they killed 11 people on the second day of the ground war but mostly we haven't seen cornets and so this is the idf saying have we been seeing cornets around here because um because they have the range to reach them and then you show in this next video uh this is a convoy right around where the chief was and they're they're riding in an open hummer because they believe that anti-tank missiles Uh, or, or whatever, because we saw the IDF say, yes, there's anti-tank missiles. And then they decided to put their guys in, uh, in an open Humvee, um, with no roof or doors. And you can see that's the wire guided. You can see it spinning there. You can aim the cornet in a way that makes it superior to a Yassin, but it's interesting because we haven't seen cornets and, um, so the question was whether they're holding them back, whether their stocks are short. Um, but, but the one reason that's interesting to, to note is that Nasrallah said um, in one of his early speeches that um, the anti-tank, because of the Israeli drones, which are new to this fighting compared to, uh, compared to 2006, um, that the Israeli drones have made the anti-tank units of Hezbollah essentially martyrdom missions because they can track the firing and then hit. John, I've
5: got, sorry, John, just a quick question about these cornets. Um, How do they work exactly? When you say they're wire guided, how does that work? Does does it shoot out a wire first?
4: No, it's behind it. So it shoots out a wire behind it that unfurls and is connected to basically a command and control um, um apparatus, and so okay, you can so it's like aerial guided. I see you can adjust it as it's in the air,
3: and um, it it does when you see these cornets flying, not just in this video, but but in uh, in others we've seen. We see Hezbollah using them as well. The missile appears to sort of it doesn't travel in a straight line. It seems to to meander and to and to change course and to jump around. It, it it's is it doing that automatically, and is that part of the way it evades uh, countermeasures?
4: No, um, it it's done. It's guided by the by the firer, um, and and so I think one of the things that you're seeing is that the way the wire unfolds, it makes it look. Um, you see it in a way that you wouldn't see um, other missiles. But the the distance is actually one of the reasons why it's possible they're not being used um, in Gaza City is that the 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 trophy system can see it coming and knock them out. And so we see in this convoy, um, if we let the video go back around, we can see that the the um, there's a, a convoy of of armored vehicles that all have active protection systems on them. And so the Palestinians are passing on those and then hitting the Jeep. Um, and so we, what we have seen is that um, these cornets haven't been used as much. Um, and the obvious war plan by Qassam was to mass produce um, these Yassines, which are not as effective, uh, can't penetrate as deeply into armor and can't be controlled as well. But instead, what they've done is mass produced the lesser weapon, which is easier to carry. It allows your fighters to be mobile It allows them to get out of there and not be on a martyrdom mission. Like Nasrallah said, um, the Yassin allows the fighters to get close. And to get close is more effective than to be able to aim well, because once you're close, the active protection systems don't work so there this has been something that military watchers have been have been watching for because um, I think a lot of people expected cornet um, anti-tank guided missiles to play a significant role in this fight, and they haven't um yet, so the question is if they're being held back. Um, but what it does demonstrate is that Kassam had a war plan here um they they didn't stumble into this war they they have this planned out and the way that they're using it. Um, is and just that Israeli video to publish that video on the same day, um, and to say like, uh, is there anti-tank missile fire here? And the guy says yes, they can reach us here. And then they still put their guys in a in an open-top truck. So it's just like with the Israeli army, it's like the, the government's after them, their own armies after them, the Palestinian resistance is after them. Um, it doesn't seem like it's the best job right now.
0: No. Um, what else? What else do we have? Uh, what else has uh, so this
4: is, come through? Let, let's do the tunnels. Yeah. So so this is again, this is the Israelis releasing captured footage um, that they got from Kassam. So this is a Kassam engineering unit. This is showing you a tunnel that the Israelis can't show you because they've never found one. Um, but they ca- they captured this, so you just see a tractor just driving into this tunnel, um, um, and and what we're watching here is the construction of a tunnel that's 50 meters deep, and according to the Israelis, four kilometers long. But that's only because that's what they've found. You can see here this Kassam engineer opening this door. Look at how sealed that door is. When we talk about flooding the tunnels, it's completely. The concrete is completely sealed. He can't, he has to kick the door to get it open. It's so heavy and it's hermetically sealed. And so the part part of the reason why they use these doors is actually for the structure of the tunnel because it protects against blast waves. And then we see here, I'm not sure what, but, but this is, to me, it seems like a clue that there's drainage capacity, um, in, in that section. Um, clearly that door, um, is waterproof. Um, and then we see some of the tools that are used to dig and they use these tools. Um, that are not, that are not, they don't use large tools that would make noise because one of the ways, the only way the Israelis know about them is to do sort of like, um, almost like seismic readings, right. To see, to see if there's any kind of activity. Um, you see this massive train apparatus with fuel. Um, this is obviously a branch from the tunnel. They have multiple doors that they can seal and each one of these doors where the Israelis to go down there, they have to breach these doors. So they have to carry explosives. Um, and each of those doors can be booby trapped. And if we look and see at the end of this tunnel, as they're digging it here in, in the follow on video. So again, this is Kassam video that they're using for themselves in the engineering of this tunnel that's been captured by the Israelis, and then the Israelis are showing it to us. But we so can the see,
3: Israelis don't necessarily know where this tunnel is. They captured the video, not the tunnel.
4: So they so, so they do capture the tunnel. and. Um, And that's in this next clip here so they they got this video and they clearly from the video attempted to find where the tunnel is and you can see them up here near eras and you can see that tunnel that's what we saw from the other side but
3: that's do we know that that's the same tunnel as in the video they captured
4: yeah so this is the same tunnel and they can't get into it because they haven't found the entrance look at that's them sawing through it because they can't find the entrance Um, to the tunnel. So they, but see how it's the same. They're they're literally cutting into it because they don't know where uh, the tunnel entrance is. And then, um, and so now they've dug it out and now they're showing it. Um, And Kassam, like they couldn't even find the entrance. I can't even stress how uh, far removed from, combating the tunnel apparatus that this is.
3: Well, this certainly shows, the the captured video shows the scale of these tunnels and presumably that's only a small part. And I can say, I've mentioned this before, when I was in Gaza 10 years ago and visited the commercial tunnels or the so-called smuggling tunnels that were between Gaza and Rafah, from Rafah and Gaza to Egypt. So these were not military tunnels. I haven't been in any of Qassam's tunnel network, nobody nobody has. Just some uh, Israelis.
4: Sorry, right. Just That's some Israelis.
3: Just some Israelis. But what I saw was also on a vast scale uh, and those were the commercial tunnels. I talked about how we went down on this electric platform that lowered us down and it was a platform that was large enough to park two cars side by side and then going off from the bottom of that shaft, which was very deep below the ground, you had tunnels going off horizontally that you could drive a car through. You could just drive a car through. So what I'm saying is what I saw with my own eyes was already on a huge scale. And so I'm entirely capable of imagining that you have, just based on this video and the scale of that infrastructure, that you have an underground city on a massive
4: scale yeah so on the scale question there the israelis say that this is a four kilometer tunnel that they found and they believe there's 500 kilometers of tunnels so this what we're seeing this incredible feat of engineering represents 0.8 percent of what kassam uh, has and this tunnel is in is near eras in the north so it's presumably an attack tunnel that was created in such a way that vehicles can traverse it and then end up inside Israel. Um, and so here's another video that they, this is, this is Yahya Sinwar's brother, Mohammed Sinwar, who led the operation to capture Gilad Shalit, which freed a thousand prisoners plus his brother. But this is just them. This is footage from their car that the Israelis captured. Look, he's telling them which direction to go in the tunnel. He's driving his car into the tunnel. And at the beginning, it looked like he was going like 40 kilometers an hour. Like they're not crawling. He's driving into the tunnel. Um, And so the Israelis are showing this. And presumably this is just um, like building video that like they're going on a tour. uh, They're checking the, you know, like a construction project. It's a massive engineering project and they're testing it out and they're talking about it. And Israel publishes this video. Uh, of of Mohammed Sinwar, who's one of the top operational commanders in Qassam, um, just driving into the tunnel in a car. So, again, you you have to use your imagination a little bit to to to, to imagine what else is in the 500 kilometers of tunnels. Yeah. Um, when you see these guys just uh, hey yeah, t- take a right here while we're driving through the tunnel in our car. And often um, they remarkable. Were-
3: And after uh, they uncovered, after the Israelis uncovered that one tunnel that comes out in the arrows, Qassam had a response, didn't they? Yeah, so
4: we have that here. We have that here. So Kassam is able to respond to this uh, within hours. So this is Galant. They don't go in the tunnel. They're just standing at the entrance that they dug out. Um, But This is a Qassam video that was released a few hours after Israel released, saying that this tunnel goes to Erez. Israel tried to frame it in terms of like, but so this video is uh, you were too late. And this is all uh, October 7th. And and interestingly, this is October 7th footage that's only from Erez. So they didn't just make a best of October 7th. They're mocking the Israelis. Showing this video by only showing footage from eras, you arrive too late. Um, it's just remarkable. so we're talking about command and the mission had been completed um when you're talking about command and control, Israel puts out a propaganda video that makes Kassam look incredible that this un- unbelievable engineering feat um, but then they turn it into propaganda. Kassam is able to respond to that propaganda within. Uh, several hours with footage that's so specific that it only deals with the era's part of October seventh. Just the sophistication, the command and control, the ability to, um, to 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 function as an organization is obviously completely intact.
3: Um, and I just one other point that that some analysts have made that I think is a good one. I'd like to see what you think about that, John, is that if this tunnel that the Israelis discovered had any strategic value to Israel, for example, if it led them to a broader network of tunnels that, uh, or they could use this entrance to somehow flood the tunnels or go in or do whatever they think they're going to do, Israel would not have released the video because you wouldn't want to tell Qassam, we know about this tunnel. Do you think that's a good point?
4: Yeah, and and also just when you look at that tunnel, can you imagine flooding that tunnel with water? It's so absurd. It's like uh, you know, pe- I think people think maybe the Israelis think that they're these because a lot of the, the the branches of the tunnel are like we saw them. Um, the the archway looks like it's about six and a half feet tall. Um, but these are clues that we're seeing that just open up enormous um contingencies that just make it seem like it's not serious if if israel found this tunnel wouldn't the first thing they would do you'd think would be to go in and begin the mapping of this tunnel um but that's not on their their radar it's 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 strange i mean i don't want to Jinx things and 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 make the Israelis not release this footage, but the footage that Israel releases, thinking that they're somehow, um, you know, showing how evil Kassam is, are just brilliant engineering. Um, you know, the videos that they show are, are are just crazy heroism. They say like, oh, this is them fighting in a in a school or whatever, and and what they're showing is just like heroic um indigenous resistance um to genocide in their own communities and And this response by
5: it's so ingenious as well and and the scale of it is really incredible to see i mean it's really it's really interesting that it shows how the israelis kind of don't believe their own propaganda when when they're putting out this stuff about flooding tunnels so on one hand they kind of want to have it both ways where they're sort of saying well this this it's this terrible, evil underground layer On one hand, but on the other hand, we're just going to flood them with uh, with seawater, and you know, there's no way they would have thought of uh, you know uh, basic engineering things like uh, drainage and so forth. And it's just, it's I mean, the footage we see there. I, I remember we showed a we showed another tunnel video quite uh, fairly early on. I think it might have been one of the streams that got taken down, but that was a um, Soraya Elkoud's video of a of a sm- of a sm- much smaller tunnel. Um, and even that had in it, you know, infrastructure. It had uh, medical, which we, I remember you commented at the time. It had um, first aid kits, even a fire extinguisher and a, a telephone, you know, its own, presumably, its own secure uh, communications network. So, you know, it's like you said, it, it looks like these are basically small underground cities.
4: Yeah. And remember in 2002 when the Israelis said that they were. Um, you know, walking through walls. and they were like, they did all this like architectures uh, based stuff where they, you know, they said, like we're reimagining the landscape. Uh, we, we, we when we look at a room, we don't see a living room. We reimagine it and puncher a hole in the wall to walk through the next. Like, where is that reimagining architecture? When you're talking about the other side, like they made the Israelis seem like they were geniuses to reimagine the landscape, and what we're looking at here is a is a, a besieged people um, creating, uh, like reimagining the landscape in such a way that even us who are totally invested in it, um, every time a video comes out, there's something new that we we didn't we couldn't even fathom, um, or or didn't even think to fathom. Um, like when you have a tunnel that's that big, the 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 limit, the the ability, the capacity to do anything with that, like to make a hospital or to make um, you know bomb shelters in the future for for the s- civilian population, like that's reimagining the landscape. It's well, incredible.
3: It it's really remarkable that uh, when you think about just the determination you know just just to say you talk about reimagining but then to do it then to marshal the resources to organize this to 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 get the supplies needed to do it and this is necessary i mean you have you have this this common israeli talking point that uh, oh why why is the hamas they are always building uh, instead of building the tunnels. Why they aren't building the schools, the hospitals for the uh, for the Palestinians in Gaza? Why they steal the concrete and they are stealing everything and building the tunnel? Why not to build something positive? You've all had that talking point,
4: Colonel Dodi.
3: That's uh, that's uh, uh, Brigadier General Dodi Benzona, my friend. <laughs> Uh, so, but, you know, we've, we've all uh, heard this talking point. But the point, of course, is that Israel doesn't allow Palestinians to build, to prosper, to thrive. Palestinians built universities in Gaza, and Israel has destroyed them. Palestinians built uh, uh, their homes in Gaza, Israel destroyed them. Palestinians built hospitals in Gaza, Israel destroyed them. So the point is that Palestinians are forced to resist in this manner uh, and to build, to reimagine and then to implement. And it's just extraordinary, just absolutely extraordinary. And we only know a fraction of it. The, The fact is, nobody outside Qassam knows the extent of this and how deep it goes and how far it goes. We're, we're seeing these snippets and extrapolating and making some, uh, you know, reasonable uh, inferences. But the reality is we don't know what they've got. Right.
0: And while there is, uh, you know, wh- while there are fighters uh, inside the tunnels underground, there are also fighters above ground. Um, there, There's also a, a, a jelly bean we want to show about... Um, uh, a, a battle in Gaza City, where um,
4: yeah, just to say yeah. quickly too that yeah, that, yeah, that building resistance infrastructure isn't separate from. A state. thats They're building right. resistance infrastructure to defend themselves against genocide. When the war started in Israel, Israel bragged about how they gave everybody guns and called up 360,000 reserves. And Israel has a right to defend itself. And Israel has all these rights um, that are military based. Um, why don't the Palestinians get that right too? So the idea that um, building underground tunnels for your resistance fighters is somehow robbing your population of something is it's it's wrong it's upside yeah. down yeah. the ability to resist um is for the entire population so that's how it's seen in israel that's how it's seen in the united states in canada you know we celebrate with monuments these fighters um you know so why doesn't it get to be that way for Palestinians? Like, why can't they celebrate their resistance? And why does the resistance have to be told it's somehow separate from the national project of of the civilians that are struggling and are the target of this war? Absolutely. So this is Gaza City. We're going to go, we're going to see some more armor get hit again this is elevated firing positions so this is using the landscape in a way um, that the tanks aren't um, necessarily built for because that's an angle that you're hitting them again this is hitting them in the back and you can see that these are fresh footage because it's been pouring rain Um, and so you can see that Kassam can react to the tunnels um, within hours and we can see that they're Um, showing these videos that are clearly within the last um, day or two. Again, too close for the active protection system to kick in. This is also too close for the trophy system to kick in. Um, And again, using the landscape that's destroyed um, by this brutal war on civilians, um, but then using that, um, that, that landscape to then attack the Israelis, which is why The longer the war goes on to repeat it every show, the longer the war goes on, the more capacity the resistance has, the more likely they're going to use their bigger weapons. Um, They're able to plan attacks better. Um, And you can see this. Is this the one with the trees? So there's the, the, the footage of the tanks that you can see. They're just destroy things in the city um, running over, um, running over trees, smashing trees down, um, running over cars, just wanton, um, destruction that you see. Um, and in one of those videos, the, um, the tank hits a tree for fun, um, runs over the tree and gets stuck on the tree, which gives the Kasam fighter the ability to come up close behind him and hit him, which is just like, um, you know, the karma cycle or or what you wanna be what you want to call it. So then, and now we have more personnel here. The Israelis 70 days in, still hanging out in windows. It's not a good idea. That's a fragmentation grenade on the end of that Yassin. Like it's just poor soldiering. Hmm. Um, but it's also casualties. So um, these numbers clearly don't match the Israeli numbers. Like Abu Obeda said that he he thinks it's double. Um, and, and
0: what are the figures that The, uh, Israel the Israelis
4: been... are at like 800 and, and something uh, right. from the ground war. Um, but the Ministry of Health says that since um, October 7th, 10,000 civilians and soldiers have been through the hospital system
0: israeli so civilians yeah
4: yeah israelis
0: uh
4: are there any this so this is yeah. outside of a troop carrier this is the most triangles on any video
0: and someone in the comments is asking about the significance of the triangles so what can we say about that
4: right so the triangles were just what kassam used to identify what's being hit in the videos
3: but they've become kind of a symbol you you see you see people on social media using the red triangle because it's an emoji you can type it up on your phone or on your computer so it's become kind of a symbol of support for palestine you'll see people putting the red triangle in their profiles and their bios on social media and that's where it comes from
4: yeah and that's also an old armored personnel carrier. That's not a NAMR. So they're using old gear presumably because their gear is being damaged. And then this is the last. This is the last one we'll show you. This is a caravan of destroyed gear being filmed by who? Obviously Israeli soldiers. This mm-hmm. is a Qassam video. So what we're seeing here is captured we showed idf captured video of Qassam. this is pretty clearly Kassam captured video of the israelis yeah um, and this is the scene that we haven't seen as much of um,
0: this is what israel doesn't want to be shown is the dragging of these multi-million dollar armored vehicles out yeah, of
5: it shows that this tank has been immobilized.
3: Like, yeah, you know, and completely. that's all you need to do because that right. tank is pretty intact. It's not like, you, in in other words, you don't have to blow the tank to pieces in order to, uh, to to disable it and to take it out of service and also to put those soldiers who are in the tank, in a, in a quandary because mm-hmm. if they survived the attack, now they don't have their tank. Now they have to be rescued by another force so they have to somehow escape from the Passam fighters who are coming after them. So this video shows that even in those cases where you don't see the massive secondary explosions of the ammunition in the tank or the fuel in the tank going up, it's enough to destroy the tracks of the tank or to destroy yeah. uh, the, the mechanism of the turret or whatever it is to take that tank out of battle and it is extraordinary to see this video of how they got uh, to see this video and wonder how they got their hands on it mm-hmm. and well, we've uh, seen
4: their captured gear right they've showed us captured yeah. gear captured kit yeah but it
3: means that they got they got so whoever that soldier was who filmed this qasam got to them after that sometime after this was filmed in circumstances that we may not have seen. We may not have seen in
4: any of the videos. But that's part of the prop, like that's part of their agit prop, right? Like to to not tell us is part of the psychological warfare that's going on here. And these videos come out so fast. The response to the tunnel video only being Erez footage, the response to showing captured Kassam footage is for Kassam to immediately show captured Israeli footage. Mm -hmm. So it's just remarkable, the sophistication, the detail, um, the ability to resist 74 days on is more than it was uh, on day one. And the only thing the Israelis have accomplished um, is attacking hospitals um, and putting fake uh, guns in incubators as if that's um, like as if anyone in the world would think that that's a thing that happens um, but but just like grotesque, disgusting, Uh, civilian massacres and the Palestinian resistance um, fierce more fierce today than uh, at any point and now presumably battle-hardened and experienced Um, it's hard to see where this goes when they talk about you know after this war ends um, because you've got um, you know hundreds of thousands of enraged children who have watched this happen Um, you've got 30 40,000 fighters who all know that they can defeat the Israelis um, and destroy their fence system. Um, I mean, we've seen in Qassam videos, uh, documentaries where Qassam fighters are like talking disappointedly about how pathetic the fight back from the Israelis are. I mean, Abu Obeda even said it uh, in his last speech that when they hit these ambushes, they're not, they're not huge firefights they're not getting in huge firefights they throw grenades and run away and then call in airstrikes or in the videos we have to cut the sound out of the videos but a few of those videos have screaming soldiers in them Um, we've cut also the soldier casualties out of these videos Um, yeah
3: and that's important to say because it's not just the footage of the uh, disabled tanks we saw we saw some Yeah, uh, severely injured soldiers being evacuated and it's not clear if they would survive those circumstances but we don't want to push our luck with the uh, platform censorship but uh, that must also have been video. I mean that's extraordinary to think about that that was a soldier presumably filming other injured soldiers and then that soldier must have ended up dead because the soldier who filmed it, because that's the only way Qassam could have gotten their hands on the video.
4: Unless they ran away from the, from like the, the there was one video that showed Qassam overrunning a, a, an Israeli outpost on the top of a sand berm. And they run up, and by the time they get up to the top, there's only one soldier left, and the other soldiers had run away. So maybe they, they but, but yeah. Presumably, they're killed, and that's how they get the footage. Um, or it could
5: be something more esoteric, like uh, footage being hacked or intercepted, or who knows? Even um, someone who's working on the inside, who knows?
4: Yeah, I mean, well, Islamic Jihad, um, Saray al said that they commandeered uh, using jamming, commandeered a drone yesterday, an Israeli drone. Um, So there's a lot that we don't know that's happening. And clearly there's a cyber element to the fight as well. But I think that the probably the Occam's razor is that that's captured footage from a helmet cam from Mm. a soldier that was killed.
0: Kassam, the startup nation. Um, (laughs) Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's, um, Let's wrap. I mean, there's so much that we, you know, that that, that we could still talk about for hours and hours on end. Um, we will get more into that in our next live stream. Um, Ali, did you want to remind people um, of uh, how they can support? Yes.
3: Well, there are lots of ways you can support us. And uh, if we put up the website again, I, I, want to emphasize how proud we are of all the reporting that we do particularly our colleagues in Gaza you can go to the electronic intifada electronicintifada.net and see what see on the front page on the ground reporting from our colleagues in Gaza and we're so proud of them and they are doing this work so that we can tell the world what's happening. That's the one thing our colleagues in Gaza always tell us is don't stop talking about Gaza. They have. They say when we see people out protesting, when we see people making noise about Gaza, that's what gives us hope. And so these articles, these stories that are being written by our colleagues in Gaza are things that you can take and share and send them to friends, to family, to people who are, who are saying what's going on in Gaza, or people who are misinformed. This is why we put this stuff out. All of this is free for the whole world. We have also a couple of really moving articles. We published another one uh, today. There's one on the screen now from uh, Khaled al-Qirsheli, who is in Gaza and who just wrote this beautiful piece a couple of days ago about our dear friend Rifat al-Arair who was murdered by Israel and then today if we uh, go on to the front page we have another article by Tamir al-Ajrami who is um, one of uh, Rifat's former students and he writes about the smear campaign the incitement campaign actually that that helped get Rifat murdered by Israel and uh, he tells really what Rifat was really like, which was a wonderful person who has had a tremendous influence. I miss Rifat very, very dearly. Every day I feel his absence more and more. And um, so we're very proud of all the work we're publishing in his memory and reporting from Gaza. And many of the reporters who are writing from Gaza were Rifat students. And that is just a reminder of what an enormous influence he had and what an enormous gift he was. And then if you go back to the front page, Tamara, um, just there at the top left, get updates. Sign up there for our email list. You get uh, an email a day with all our headlines and links to our stories. And then if you can, uh, make a donation. We know not everyone can make a donation. So if you can't, if it's going to create hardship for you, don't. But if you have if you have the ability, please do, because this is how we fund our work. And right now, just a reminder that this month, we have these wonderful angels, a group of uh, people who have come together and are matching every donation dollar for dollar until the end of the year, until we hit our goal. So please, uh, those are the ways you can support us read, share, sign up for the email list, of course, the YouTube channel. Make sure you like this video and you subscribe to the channel because as you all know, that helps the YouTube algorithm to to make this material more prominent. It helps us fight the censorship. And above all, thank you to all, all of our friends and viewers, new and old, for the support you give us and keep us going that's what keeps us a strong voice, uh, making sure that the eyes of the world remain on our friends, our loved ones, our people in Gaza right now, and of course, all over Palestine.
0: Exactly. Thank you, Ali. Thank you, Tamara Nassar, behind the scenes, uh, as always, for your brilliant production and uh, just nimbleness um, and everything else you do. Thank you, Tamara. John, Asa and Ali, uh, thank you. And we will be back on Friday. So mark your calendars. uh, Because of all the holidays, um, we are switching up our usual schedule. So we'll be back uh, with another live stream on Friday. Go to electronicanddefada.net. Sign up to our email list, as Ali said. You'll be notified of our live streams. You can also um, uh, sign up on our YouTube channel to to uh, subscribe and get notified as well. So thank you all so much. Um, Please keep safe and we'll see you next time. Thank you.